Office of Derbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the MCU Phase 2 early movies. The first three movies, which are uh, uh, Thor Dark World, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, and uh, oh, and Iron Man 3. Um, uh, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games, but we also are doing, we are, we are making good to our promise to, to good friend of the cat's jowl to talk about all of the Marvel movies. We've, we're, we're taking them in three movie chunks. So it's the first and back half of each of the three phases of the Marvel movies. I can't believe there are this many of these fucking movies. Um, and, uh, and now we're getting into 20, like 2013, 2014, right? So the Avengers is just released blood everybody's socks off or whatever uh and then now we're doing iron man 3 and thor 2 and captain america 2 so the sequels for the phase one like introduction uh movies are are all coming uh out now chronologically what what's the order that comes out it's is it it's iron man, it's 3, iron man 3 thor, thor, thor then, captain uh, america yeah yeah okay yeah no I, I forgot which one the first one was so that's why i said out of order my my apologies um, sure. But yeah, so uh, let's jump into it. Um, I guess we'll start with Iron Man 3. Uh, you want to get I have first... a lot of notes for Iron Man 3. I'm like looking at the notes that I took because I, 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 I keep notes going for, for whenever we're, we're doing stuff. And I have way, I have like three times as many notes for Iron Man 3 as for Thor 2. <laughs> so I, I would say I also have the most notes for Iron Man 3, and uh, that's because I've got to take notes on the other two. But, uh, 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 what, what's your you, you want to give a first impression so my first impression of iron man 3 was tremendously forgettable i mean 2013 is like a weird year in my life because um you know you know where this is going uh because it's the year of man of steel which i didn't like at, at the first time i saw it i thought it was fine but then i saw it a little bit later and i was like oh wait this is like great and it just like has completely defined that year in superhero movies for me so like i don't know i've definitely seen iron man 3 a couple of times maybe like two or three times um but like it, it is just one of the ones that completely blends into the background right when i think of marvel movies i never once will it cross my mind that i want to talk about uh iron man 3 which is a little bit weird right because you know it's not just uh it's not just about uh like the most popular of the MCU characters, but it's also from Shane Black, who is this like insanely talented director. He's been around for forever. He's been making very like strong, good movies for forever, right? Like this is the guy who was selling right these huge, huge like million dollar screenplays in the '90s, and he transitioned into directing. And it feels like on paper, I should really, really love him, but I, I, I guess I just I don't know. I don't. And uh, Iron Man Three sort of falls by the wayside. Yeah, so um, kind of, uh, so funnily enough, when you said 2013, it's a big mo year in my life. I, I thought it was going to be something to do with, you know, being the year after he graduated or not. I forgot about Man of Steel entirely. Uh, so, there's, so there's that. But um, Mango, I'm, I'm getting word that you're not audible in the stream. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for, for that. Um, I will have to fix that again. Uh, happened with we keep this? fucking this up. <laughs> yeah, well... We, we got it right once. I'll, okay, that, that, that should have fixed it. <laughs> That's true. It's very low sample size. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah. Uh, it works. I have, I have a readout that it works. Uh, yeah. Okay. Th thank you. Thank you, chat, for that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, Iron Man 3. Um, uh, I thought. So, 
along with you, I thought it was incredibly forgettable. Like, um, like I had started watching the movie and I realized I don't remember anything about this movie mm. at all. Like, like at all. Um, and so I went back and, uh, and so, you know, watching it was, was interesting from that perspective. Uh, and, uh, the, the second thing, like I've, I didn't remember anything about this movie to the point where like, this is very obviously supposed to be like a Christmas movie. And I didn't remember that. Right. Like, there, like there's so yeah, much. That is one of those weird Shane Black things where he always sets his movies during Christmas for some reason. Wait, really? Uh, is, that, is that a Shane Black? Yeah. Thing? It, it, so I think he's talked about it. Um, he says that it's like, it, it automatically heightens kind of like the emotional drama because it's already a time when you're like supposed to be thinking about like family and all this other sort of stuff like because he's the guy that did like jingle all the way um and a couple of these like christmas movies um but yeah he like always sets his his movies during christmas for some reason it's like a thing that's that's his thing well in 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 any regards it was um it's it's terrible like like, (laughs) this movie is like so bad like the, the i'm really surprised to hear that okay it's just like so so I, i've got deeper thoughts obviously but it's like it, it, it's also just such such a waste like i think the concept is pretty solid right like iron man mm. tony stark dealing with ptsd after the battle of new sure. york but i think it's so horrifically bungled it feels so kind of fake to me and also like it never comes back right like this is like like see i okay i think that is the core problem with this movie is that this movie is like on its own i think it would be good but it fits like a square peg in a round hole into the mcu you know what i mean whereas like some of these other movies fit very seamlessly into like the mcu stuff but like iron patriot never comes back he's just always you know he's always war machine he's always referenced as as war machine um, a bunch of the the metaphors and kind of the themes at play really don't make sense if you if you think about it in the wider MCU. Like the Iron Man suits are cocoons. Like I wrote this as my notes. The the suits as cocoon metaphor, frankly, isn't supported by the rest of Marvel's use of Iron Man. Right, like. It seems to suggest that the suits are this defense mechanism that he needs to, like, put away or, like, step aside from and, like, get rid of, right? Like, that's the whole thing with the suits blowing up into each other at the end. But, like, it's not like Iron Man is going to stop wearing fucking super-powered suits. Right. So it's just like, what, what is this movie setting up? Like, where where is it, uh, where is it going? Um, I do think that there are also, like, kind of bigger problems in some of the, like, the pieces of the movie. For instance, um, the fight scenes, I think, are all bad because not, they, he doesn't use the suit, like, ever. Like, it keeps not using the suit. There's, like, one or two where, and he's constantly going in and out of the suits, even in the very end, the big climactic fight scene. It's like, I'm paying to see Iron Man get into a suit and use fucking laser repulsor blasts and shit. I'm not, like, paying to see him, like, have a fist fight with this guy, uh, which is probably the movie's, like, most damning failure. As yeah, far as I'm so, so I, I think you're... So I think I think it's another, again, another good idea poorly executed, right? Like, I think the idea of Iron Man hopping between, like, his 42 different suits is yeah. a, a really cool idea, right? Especially if you, like, maybe take some time to set up what the different suits are. Right, but like they like we get it all by implication, and it's they're not super unique in the one fight scene where they all show up. So I, I think that was like terribly mistaken. And he's not even really using them. You know what I mean? Like most of that fight scene, he is outside of the suit, which I understand. Is, and it's funny because this the, the kind of thing I always bitch about. Right, this is a stakes thing where Tony is 
constantly he is a fragile guy and he's fighting Aldrich Killian who is like heat man or whatever um and then and so like that that adds like that element of danger but I don't know it just feels like he should be getting in these suits and fighting people in his suits please yeah um it, it, it's funny because you talk about we talk about how like none of this fits into the wider MCU and the fact it's a Christmas movie it feels like this is like the MCU Christmas special in a way um in that kind of like you know like the thing that's technically part of the canon you know like uh, Chewbacca has a, a nephew named Lumpy um <laughs> yeah um, so, so this is actually, uh, uh, another thing that, um, uh, so, so this is like the, 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 the so I feel the same way about Coulson and Avengers, but uh, happy gets hurt in this. And this is supposed to be like this big emotional moment. And I don't think it works. Um, I don't think they really nail that until actually the next movie we're going to talk about Thor dark world, like the, 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 the death of, uh, Frida, uh, I think works. Yeah. Like but... the death of a major character really like hitting home. I absolutely agree. I think happy should have legitimately died. I hate that he gets better. I think that's lame. See, so I, I I might be with you on that, but I also I think that Happy isn't enough of a character for me to care. It's true. Um, right. So like, yeah, if, especially because he's just kind of this comic relief, like bumbling whatever. Um, it's a little bit of whiplash when the first ten minutes of the movie is all about Happy being jokey jokester, and then all of a sudden it wants me to like have all this empathy and pathos for the guy. But it's like, well, he's doing like Looney Tunes bullshit, you know, like. I, I, I guess I, I, like, in that relatable way, I care about it. But in that, um, you know, real emotional... I don't get the sense that he and Tony are, like, friends. Uh, and I don't get the sense that his getting injured, like, really hits Tony where he lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I also just don't think, like, we care enough about Happy for it to matter regardless, right? So... Yeah. Um, I think you need either of those things, and I just don't think it's there. Yeah, like, if it was Pepper, absolutely. If it was yeah. War Machine, honestly, I, yeah. that would probably be it, right? Like, you know, somebody who we have seen over the course of these, you know, like, these Iron Man movies uh, to have, like, that. But, like, his driver? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think you could do that work and make it make it matter, but I don't think they, I don't think they did. Um, what else about this? So, like... Um, so, so the, the other, the, the biggest note I have about Iron Man 3 is Fios in all capital letters because of that, like that ending shot when he gives like the, the kid, like a Christmas present, right? Oh my God. And yeah. the, the screen just says Fios, right? Like that's not how your, 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 uh, your internet provider works. And like that, that's a nitpick, but like, it was just like, so such egregious levels of uh, product placement that I couldn't help but like notice it, right? Like, like that combined with the Chris, like you know combined with the Christmas thing just like makes this feel like a really chintzy movie if that makes sense interesting that is not so so i remember where i so i i had a, a similar experience to this as i did to captain america to be honest where like i was sort of with it in the beginning where i was like i get this the the danger and i like a lot of the small things that are happening like so for instance Tony, when he is suffering from his PTSD in the beginning of the movie, does not exhibit, like, typical movie PTSD symptoms, which is, like, the, you know, uh, like, pushing people away or, like, lying to them or, like, putting up these sorts of walls. Like, he's actually very emotionally vulnerable and intimate with Pepper about, like, how he's feeling and where he is at, which I was like, oh, like, this is, like, pretty, like, pretty cool and, like, pretty neat. But I don't really think that the movie goes anywhere... 
outside of that starting point being different than the typical starting point, that doesn't really, like, get with the rest of it. But the part that kills me is that it feels like Iron Man is a huge piece of shit in this movie, right? Like, he's a dick to the kid, he's a dick to Maya, he's just mean all over the place. And it's like, and I understand that that's part of, like, I don't know, it just, it feels like it's part of, like, the Iron Man brand thing where he's, like smarmy and and kind of shitty a little bit but like i don't know he just felt like very pointedly mean in ways that i had a tough time with yeah no so I, again this is, is gonna go back to the chintzy thing where it's like this doesn't like this feels like someone trying to do tony stark is snarky thing but like missing it by like uh, you know like uh you know like half an inch so that it veers into like really mean territory in a way that like isn't endearing like it's supposed to be um, yeah, and the character yeah, like he's making jokes about the kid's dad yeah. who left him or whatever, and I was like, "That's so fucked up." And like, I understand that that's part of the joke is that it is so fucked up. Right. But like, I don't know, man. I, it's like, yeah. I, 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 yeah, well. no, absolutely right. Like, and it's it's like it's it's, <laughs> it's it's too much to be cute, right? Like, and it's it's and and the kid the kid takes it like Tony is being playful, right? Which yeah. Like, I think just feeds more into kind of the um, like the 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 dissociation dissociation's the wrong word, but kind of like the 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 the, the break, right? Like the, the fact that it doesn't seem to be working, right? Like it it starts to like gnaw away, like this is not how people act, type of. Uh, I guess yep. it's a bunch of disbelief thing. Yeah, uh, no, it does this thing, which I think is a funny joke, and I like the trope. Like, so for instance, Five Hundred Days of Summer did this where the little kid is sort of, like, wise beyond their years and is kind of, like, speaking as a grown-up. And I think that that's, like, funny and that's kind of, like, cool in a way. Um, but it also sort of means that you can't do typical little kid empathy stuff, right? It's hard to get me to be like, oh, Tony is being, a, you know, like, the fun uncle to this little kid at the same time that, like, he and the little kid are, like, you know, trading barbs like dock workers in a bar. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. That that just felt very off to me. Yeah. Also, like, Tony's other behavior, too, right? Like, you know, like, him just, like, breaking into the kid's barn and setting up, right? Like, like that, that feels, like, a little too much even for, like, Tony Stark to do, right? Like, to, like you know, he'd at least, like, knock on the door or something, right? And, like, you know, offer to pay, you know, he's, he's Tony Stark, right? He's, like, recognizable enough that he could probably, like, get by in his cashier. But, like, just actually setting up. Seems a, like a half step presumptive even, even for Tony, especially a Tony who's like, you know, supposed to be suffering from like this is like crippling PTSD type of type of deal. Um, like I said, I, I I think the idea of Tony suffering from PTSD from from uh, from the Battle of New York makes a lot of sense. I just don't think it's super well super well executed on. Um, I, I don't I don't I basically kind of don't believe it uh, at least the way it's, it's presented. Um, I also think this thing with the president is so weird. As, like, the, you know, like, as sort of this main big obstacle. I, I, I kind of feel like the Mandarin doesn't fit in this movie the way that it wants to. And it's funny because, like, so the Winter Soldier, which is later, right? The Winter Soldier comes out in 2014. Iron Man 3 comes out in 2013. Is kind of the same sort of, like, there are bad guys in the government thing going on but it's like that these don't touch at all like the winter soldier establishes there's this huge wide-ranging far-reaching conspiracy 
of Hydra having infiltrated like S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff like that. But Iron Man 3 never touches on S.H.I.E.L.D. It never touches on Hydra. It never gets close to any of that kind of stuff. Um, even when it sort of like feels like it's right on, on the cusp of it, right? Like, how do you have a character like Iron Patriot who is outside of the purview of S.H.I.E.L.D.? That, like, that piece just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and this is part of what makes the, uh, this is part of what makes the movie feel like it is kind of a, in its own world outside of, you know, like the rest of the the rest of the MCU. Because like we have these long running agencies or whatever, and like the politics of them is an important feature in multiple of the previous movies, right? It's there in Thor. It's there in Iron Man Two. It's there, in, you know, Cap One. It's obviously the ground, you know, like the groundwork on which the whole plot of Avengers is laid. And then in for for Iron Man Three to just completely ignore all of that, I found just very strange yeah and so i think this is a this is a smaller version of like um a problem i think that i, I saw in in uh, this movie and honestly the next two movies which is like the stakes are high enough that they should be calling in the other avengers right like that's mm-hmm. not actually so much a problem in this movie i think it's actually you know understandable reasonable in this movie. yeah um but like in in dark world it's like the dark elves are going to you know darken the entire universe you think thor might like you know give somebody a phone call right and you know we even get like the stealth cameo from from Chris Evans uh, with the, the Loki disguise, right? It's like, yeah, you know, universe might end, but it's not important enough to like bother Tony, right? Like, yeah, um, uh, yeah, no, I absolutely get that. How do you feel about like the Mandarin plot twist in general? So like, I, I, I get like I think it's a neat idea. I think it's like, like I even think like the the kind of technical execution of it is fine. It's just like in the wrong move. Like it, it doesn't fit with the rest of the pieces, right? Like. Like th- this is this is a set of like disparate pieces that um just fail to come together in a way that makes sense to me, right? Like even the whole even the whole part where like Tony goes and uh and like gets the Mandarin by like using like hardware store MacGyver shit, right? Like that also doesn't like really resonate with me because like apparently half the suits are still operational and you can like call them like. Like, it, it, like and it, it doesn't make it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. See, I remember the Mandarin plot twist as being a like huge deal. Like when this movie came out, that's all anybody wanted to talk about was how the marketing had set up the Mandarin to be whatever, and then in the movie he was like a he was like a goof, and, and that just pissed a lot of people off or whatever. Um, yeah, that that's weird. That that is definitely weird. I do think that the plot twist works, and on a story level, I like agree with it, right? Like, I think if I'm reading the script, it, it's fine and it, and it makes plenty of sense, and I'm absolutely on board. Uh, but again, I just feel like it needs to be better integrated into the rest of this stuff. Yeah, uh, like Tony Stark, or I'm sorry, uh, Nick Fury has like bugs in everywhere on everything, but like is completely absent from the the mandarin like nobody calls here's the thing nobody calls nick fury when the president is like being threatened by this fucking terrorist guy ah but yeah that that is like the my my fundamental thing that really that really kills me i guess in this movie yeah or or like you know maybe the right person is pierce but like he like pierce is part of the cabinet right right so you know you um this is, this or you set up that it's one of these, yeah, like you know, like it's 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 one of these low level Hydra guys, or you, you know, there's a million other options here, right? And they, but they just completely ignore it, which I expect is because like Shane Black is a name, 
and he gets a certain amount of creative control and i'm sure that that was like a piece of the equation where it was like like when we're hiring joe and anthony russo who are best known for doing episodes of fucking community at that point right uh it's easy to sort of tell them to do what i want but when you're hiring shane black you have less leeway to do that i'm, I'm also sure that some of it is is kind of like you know how 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 overlapping are the pro, are the productions of each uh, of these particular movies right yep. and like do we do we know ahead of time i honestly think you could solve most of this by making the stakes not about the president right like um mm-hmm. like like iron patriots like a kind of nice like you know uh easter egg i guess but like he does he doesn't even need to be in this movie for the He's, it's not even a fu- this is the part that drives me it's not even a fucking easter egg the thing with iron patriot is in the comics it is he is norman osborne norman osborne becomes head of shield right and he that gives him access because Tony has been selling Iron Man suits to Shield when he is the head of Shield. So Tony gets booted from the head of Shield. Norman Osborn comes in and has access to all of Tony Stark's uh, suits. So Norman Osborn is Iron Patriot, right? And like that is a bad thing. Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin, obviously, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and so like this whole is it just feels very very out of place here. Uh, for, for the Iron Patriot to show up. It's just like, why is this just not War Machine? Yeah. You yep. know, like, was War Machine not enough? Yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be kind of talking to, like, you know, Tony's disillusionment with the military, but that's also the theme of the first movie and the second movie, right? Like, maybe that's supposed to be a through line, but, like, it, it feels like we're retreading some of the same ground. Um, yeah, and, and that, I felt like that was maybe what we were going for, but the president is really just sort of an like a i don't know a carrot on the end of a stick yeah, to be bought over right yeah he, he's he's uh what, what's 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 the what's the word um the, he's a MacGuffin. um yeah like there really isn't all that much even on a thematic level to the to the politics of this movie outside of just like i mean it has a very straightforward right like oh corporations like evil billionaire is manipulating the media or whatever, right? But, you know, like, that's... We've seen that a million times, right? It's not saying anything actually political about uh, superheroes or accountability or... Like, even the whole conflict with the Mandarin itself, with Tony and the Mandarin, seems very, you like, thrown away, right? Like, he gets asked a question about a reporter and Tony mouths off about it and the Mandarin shoots him with a fucking missile? Like, what? Yeah. You know, like, if you think about... The actual construction of the plot. So much of the plot hinges on this moment where Tony says a quote into a reporter's cell phone, and then he doesn't even give the phone back. He throws the phone against a wall. It's like, I, which part of like Iron Man is just a dick in this movie? But like, I, it, it just feels very not important for a detail that is so important. Yeah, and it, it's also one of those things where like, you know. Uh, so another thing that, that, you know, kind of on this unbelievability scale is, like, heavily armed helicopters roll up to Tony's house and, like, shoot it, right? Like, and, like, I'm like, no, like, the, the U.S. military isn't scrambling jets or anything, right? Like, it's, 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 it's like, it, it is unbelievable to me that, like, a helicopter, like, like, if Tony Liv was, like, you know, hiding out on some, like, you know, somewhere else, right? Like, some somewhere off, off a coast somewhere, but he's, like, he's, like, Malibu, right? Like, Malibu Beach or whatever, right? Like... Yeah, you, yep, Los Angeles, right? <laughs> the biggest like, city on the West Coast! Like, there is, like, literally no way that that happens without, like, some movement. There is an Air Force base 
just up the road, basically, right? Like, if you keep following the 101, there's an Air Force base, like, maybe 50 miles up there. You don't think they could have put an F-22 in the air, get there in six minutes? Like, come on. Or, like, or like the Iron Patriot, right? Like, you think that, like, you know, yeah. like, the, the, especially given that the Mandarin is supposed to be, like, this, you know... Like, so... Okay, okay, are you ready for this? Especially given that the wearer of the Iron Patriot suit is... Uh, Tony's best friend. Rhodey, yeah. right? Who he just had drinks with at a bar in Malibu, right? <laughs> so, like, we know that the Iron Patriot armor is, like, right around the fucking corner. Anyway, I like, I don't want to harp on that stuff. I, I would consider this to be, like, nitpicky bullshit. But it is absolutely, in this movie, kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, also, the, the way they... That's it. The way they like side, I said. The way they sideline Patriot, right? Like, you know, it's like... Yeah. He can't use any of the other suits, and then he, like, rescues the president and just gets out, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, there's this terrorist here, but I'm just going to fly away and not come back and, you know, let Tony and Pepper <laughs> deal with it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, also, like, they remove the shrapnel from Tony's heart, but, like, that feels like it doesn't matter, right? Like, I Oh, see, like I think that's fine. I like, I like it as, like, an emotional sort of uh, uh, completion of that arc. I don't think it fits in the movie in yeah. the same way. That, like, the rest of... Like, this has the same problem of it doesn't fit in the MCU as a whole. But as a completion of Tony Stark's arc, in a way, where, like, he is... Um, he's kind of, like, letting go of that trauma, which is, like, the, the source of okay. his PTSD and all this stuff. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm on board for that. I actually think a lot of that... I think a lot of that character stuff is very good. Like I said, this is the same thing about, like, the emotional vulnerability. It's a little rote, but it's sort of rote in the way that it was in, like, Aquaman, where it's, like... A good story told well, very straightforward. No surprises here, but like on a for a character on a character level, all that stuff like works fine. Um, I guess the but my but like it is the combination of that character level stuff with Tony Stark being a dick, with it not fitting into the MCU, with all this other sort of like weird plot detritus. Like I remembered this story being very well structured in my head, and but I watched it and i was like this is actually pretty sloppy there's like not a it's not as tight as i thought i was thought it was like the whole thing with like the virtual crime scene i thought was incredibly stupid and i was mad about it yeah no i i would agree with you it seems like there's a lot of kind of like you know let's like move the plot along but long by convenience type of stuff yeah um, it's exactly that sort of thing it's like you know like listen i will i understand that it is bullshit in the dark night where Batman reconstructs a fingerprint on a bullet by, like, taking that brick out of the wall or whatever. But at least it goes through the process of showing you, like, oh, well, if you look at the way that the rifling hit the brick and we make a 3D model and we extrapolate out, we can actually th see the thumbprint as he puts the, you know, as he puts the bullet in the chamber, right? Like, obviously, none of that makes sense in the real world, but at least it is showing you a process, even if it's not the most plausible thing right, ever, right. right? It's showing you a profit process. The thing with the virtual crime scene, Tony just says, bring up the virtual crime scene. And it shows up. And then he says, hmm, I do science. And then the computer is just like, oh, yeah, here's the fucking answer. Like, is that, that's just super lame. Yeah, and you could, uh, so the thing is, is you can fix this too, right? Like, because I hadn't remembered it, I was like, oh, and Lucky's going, or Happy, not Lucky, he's going to reach out and grab the dog tags, and that's how he's going to figure it out. It's like, nope, he's going to look at <laughs> it. <laughs> he's going to look at it, and then Tony is going to, like, recreate these fucking dog tags. Oh, my God, so stupid. 
yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised at how much I did not like Iron Man 2. I had it at two stars. It is still two stars. Uh, that's my... Or, I'm sorry, Iron Man 3. I had it at two stars. It's still two stars. That's that's my my final thought, I guess, on this movie. Yeah, I'm probably going to drop it to one star. Like, eight spoilers, it dropped to the very bottom of my list of... Uh, uh, wow! Um, okay, shit. Fuck. All right. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Thor 2. Thor 2 comes next. Um... I also had this at two stars, mostly for being forgettable. The one thing I remember is I loved all the Thor and Loki stuff. Like, and I didn't even quite remember the details. I knew that Thor and Loki had a lot of interactions. And then there's the thing where Loki tricks Thor into think into being dead, right? Like, he right. convinces Thor that he's dead. Um and, and I loved that. I thought that all that stuff was great. And then I basically didn't remember any of the rest of the movie. Uh, it turns out that's because most of the rest of the movie really sucks. Uh, though I will widen that Loki bit to Asgard. I think all of the Asgard stuff here works really well. And all of the Loki's... Or, I'm sorry. And all of the Earth stuff just fucking sucks. It sucks so bad. I hate it. It sucks. Okay. So I, I'm a little bit later <laughs> on it. Like, um, I agree with you mostly that the, the Asgard parts are the good parts and the Earth stuff's the bad parts. But it's also like not like I it's it's mostly just kind of like eh for me, right? Like it's like okay, I, I can I can ignore this. Um part of this too is that like I like 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 brother stuff is something that like really like works for me a lot of, like it's just something I love. Um and so like you know that that uh, like what rewatching this is just like oh like oh man I, I you know like this is great. I love this shit. Um and because most of the movie I think is actually the the brothers you know like the 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 most of the good parts of the movie at least are, are the brother stuff and like the final fight scene's like whatever, but like I don't care enough to be mad about it. Like I like I said, the biggest thing for me there is like, you know, this is a world, this is a universe-ending event, and it's just Thor, um, and you know, no one thinks to to, to show up to. Him. I wish this was just all the Asgard. I, so the one yeah. Earth thing that's good, I actually like Jane quite a lot, and the when Jane gets to Asgard, it's fine. But like everything else on Earth, I just I feel like if the movie just doesn't go back to Earth. Until maybe the very end, right? Like in the denouement, you know, like Thor, they, they have their final fight scene against Malekith, and it doesn't go to like London for no reason, right? It stays in, in kind of Asgard in this, you know, like in like the fantasy stuff. I think I would have really liked it. I think I would have been uh, much more okay with, with the movie. But all this like stuff with Darcy and Eric... It kept cutting to them, and I was just like, what the fuck? This is so dumb. Who cares about these shitty, terrible, bad characters? I cannot believe that they looked at Thor 1, and they were like, you know who's a really great character? Darcy. Let's add one. another <laughs> one. And let's ruin the character Eric Zelvig, who actually has, like, a lot going for him in Thor 1, as on a character level, right? Like, he is sort of, you know, he's Norwegian, he's the expert on, on this Thor stuff, he he is familiar with, like, the lore or whatever, and he's also kind of this dad figure to, like, Jane. Let's just take a shit on him, too! Like, I hated all that stuff. I thought it was fucking garbage. Uh, but all of this stuff on Asgard just works so well. I love Loki and his mom, and it adds so much pathos to his mom dying, which was great. Which was a moment I completely forgot about. Which, ironically, it's a moment I completely forgot about, but it also is a, an important thing in Avengers Endgame. Which maybe, like, 
I double forgot about. Did they reference her dying in Avengers Endgame? I don't remember. I'm going to have to wait till Okay, well, we're, we'll get back to Avengers Endgame, which I've only seen the one time in theaters when we recorded our episode on it. But obviously, it cut, like part of that movie is about Thor, you know, it's about, it's about like the events of Thor 2. Um, I think uh, I think all that stuff was really great. Um, I don't love the the conflict between Odin and Thor about Jane that leads to the heist is maybe the weakest part of the storytelling itself. In that part, that moment felt pretty contrived, but like overall the story itself is actually like very tight and compelling. And I was really surprised about that. Uh, I think Malekith is better than people give him credit for, to be honest with you. Uh, I forgot that he had this sort of progression where he like shows up, and then he gets, like, laser-blasted, and then he becomes a true dark elf during the conversion. Uh, all of which I thought was pretty cool. I really liked Curse, the, uh, like, the, the cursed troll or whatever. He's, he's a character from the comics, um, and is just, like, I thought his whole interaction with the, these, like, the grenades and stuff. The one thing, I, you know, like, I don't love spaceships and lasers. I kind of wish that, like, if they, if the dark elves were flying around in spaceships, they flew they had guns, or I'm sorry, they had swords rather than guns. I don't love, like, the, oh, we're Asgardians, we're using swords and shields, and you have these fucking dark elves shooting everybody with, like, plasma rifles. But, like, that's, like, a small kind of, like, world-building thing. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. That's my my stuff with Thor 2, I guess. No, I I enjoyed it a lot more than I remember enjoying it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I don't know, I think, I think, I think it's, uh, pretty i don't know i i liked i i, I it, it appreciably rose in uh in, in my estimation uh after this this repeat viewing um i thought i thought like kind of some of the moments like you know um loki being in the prison cell and like like pushing away the illusion and he's like he's he's wrecked the place and he's like distraught right i thought that was i thought that was really well done um you know i also thought like the uh essentially the the twist where it looks like loki's uh betraying thor and it turns around i thought that was really well executed because i remember i remember it taking me by surprise in the theater right like like both kind of hits of the of the double whammy um uh and so i you know I, that was one of the few things i did remember ab- about the movie so I, I thought that was like super well executed um uh i thought i thought it was a, a, a I, you know, it's funny. I, it also retroactively, I think, makes Loki better in the Avengers because he gets to talk about his own motivations in clearer terms in yeah. this movie where he's like, I am a king and I was destined to king and you kept my throne from me. So I went and found another one. And that is sort of what he was saying in the Avengers. But just like it was more convoluted and much less clear because it was all about this like oh, freedom from freedom thing or whatever. And I kind of just wish that, like, those lines had been transposed, right? Like, if he had just gotten the very straightforward lines of, I made a deal with Thanos because I wanted to rule over some bitches, and that, that, that's, that's it. That's my Avengers 1 character motivation. Yeah, no, and I, th- I like, I think he is, he, Loki arcs pretty satisfying. Like, this is a good kind of, like, um, arc to the end kind of thing because like when he's like pretending to be odin he's like like you know at least i get the sense that he's like being honest right like he's playing odin when he's talking to, to thor but like so good okay so there's two pieces of the writing that i really want to highlight one this actually nails that like shakespearean dialogue really well there's a lot of small turns of phrases that are okay so uh 
so I, so I referenced a oh man, this is going to, this is going to take a second to set up. Okay. So I referenced earlier that J. Michael Straczynski did this legendary Thor run, which, and he wrote the original screenplay of Thor one, right. And how, um, he did this legendary run in the 2000s or whatever. One of the things he said during that run is how the way Thor talks, everyone says it's Shakespearean, but it's not. It's just, it is normal talk, but then kind of passed through a filter of old-timey old English. Yeah. Um, and, and he says, like, you know, like, no, like, no shit on on stan lee but he's not like structuring sentences in a way that like shakespeare would structure a sentence and the characters are not talking the way characters in a shakespeare play would be talking right they are just saying these and nows and you know that that kind of thing right thor 2 actually sort of nails the structural sentence stuff that like it's not like overbearing or like crazy or whatever but i just remember i i kept thinking like oh there's all these little turns of phrase that i absolutely love the way that they're having these conversations um that feel that all kind of authentic way and the thor odin where loki is pretending to be odin and he is subtly kind of he's doing that thing where he gives thor the thing he always wanted but thor is like no i don't want to be king or whatever and he's like oh no really are you sure and you know loki's there he's like oh, oh i i you should say it no to this but like he, and he's playing with him or whatever like that whole dynamic is so good and i was like wow this is not a movie i remember uh, yeah, and and I, I think that the part that I wanted to highlight out of that is is also it it feels like at least to me that like when he's you know when he's doing the like you know I'm proud of you son moment like that feels like it's kind of genuine from Loki right like that like he's mm -hmm. expressing like legitimate affection instead of just lying to like kind of like keep his keep his seat or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you know I like uh, I don't I I really like I, I liked that ending a lot more than I remember liking because I remember the first time I watched it being like oh that's whatever right like but you know I. I I think it's. I think. It, I think it went well. So. Uh, I also think that it sets up a legitimate mystery that I'm a little sad now that I've seen Thor Ragnarok, right? And I know the termination of that mystery that I'm a little sad about. I kind of want to know, like, I I, I want to see a more serious take on where Loki left Odin and how Loki took the throne from Odin. It gets played off entirely as a laugh by Thor Ragnarok. Um, I don't think it's entirely. But I sort of wish there was more to that. I don't think it's entirely allowed, right? Like I, I think there's a lot of. Um, I, 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 let's see if I'm using the word right, but a, a lot of pathos. Is that like the like you know like a, a lot of like emotional kind of like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, in in Thor Ragnarok, like the the thing I remember the most from Thor Ragnarok is that shot of like Odin standing on like the fjord, and it's like very yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So but... no, I definitely agree with you on that that pathos level. It works. I'm talking about like the plot level, like the mystery. Okay, yeah, yeah. I wish the mystery was meatier to solve. When, in actuality, they just went and talked to Doctor Strange. Okay, I see, I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and then, and I think the answer is that Odin was like, I actually wanted a break, so I was fine with leaving my kingdom in the hands of, in the hands of Loki, kind of thing. Uh, which is just like, it's a little weird, given, given sort of, like, where yeah. this movie falls in the, in the greater, uh, I don't know, pantheon of these things. Um... That might be it. I don't have a whole lot. I just remember I I, I had this at two stars, but it's probably a three star movie for me overall. Where I'm like, this is better than I thought, and it is legitimately got some good stuff in here, even if there is no character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that 
drives me up a lot more than Darcy fucking whatever her last name yeah, is. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, like, felt that when I was watching. It's like, oh, now I get why Buddy hates Darcy so much. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um but I would say that um, I would say that like if I was trying to give it like a more kind of objective like we were talking about these stars like our personal preference like I think it's like probably like a true three but like for me it definitely bumps up into four just because like I really resonate with the, with the brother stuff so okay um, yep fair enough uh, let's yeah. talk about Winter and then Soldier. the last one is the Winter Soldier yeah which is like a moment in the Marvel Cinematic movie kind of franchise i feel like this movie was obviously like it was huge at the time and it is one of the most impactful right like if you were to talk to people about marvel movies the winter soldier would come up very quickly i feel like in that conversation it's kind of the next sort of touchstone so so let me put it this way in in our first episode iron man was the clear touchstone right, right. then avengers was the clear touchstone in this group of three it is captain america winter soldier that is the clear touchstone that is like the next point in the the, the trajectory of where the marvel cinematic universe is going yeah and uh i think this is where we start getting like the you know marvel does x genre of film in this case it's marvel does uh spy thriller um mm-hmm. uh which is and that'll set the ground for like there's a lot of movies that kind of like like the the, the individual movies kind of like tend to continue on this path i think maybe guardians um, and also, like, the the Avengers movies kind of go back to that kind of, like, this is your classic kind of, like, adventure movie type of deal that all the previous movies have been. But this starts to kind of, like, the individual movies are a little bit different. They're a little bit tweaked. And they're kind of, like, Marvel takes on a, a different genre, which I, I think is, like, super fun. Um, I think this is, it, this is, this, I think, uh, uh, is, deserves its kind of, like, places a, a type, a top-of-the-line Marvel movie, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, this was my favorite Marvel movie for a while. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely my my favorite of the ones that we have watched thus far in this kind of in the timeline, right? Like this. Okay. Um, uh, I remember not caring as much at the time, but I think it just like works super well. I think it like uh, 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 kind of like does enough stakes, but like not so many. Like it's like the, uh, I don't know. I do think it still suffers from the like you know, well they're going to wipe out twenty million people, so maybe you'd think you'd call Stark right or, or you know anybody else. Um, but I don't think it's so I don't think it's as bad as like kind of like the Thor Ragnarok one is there at least the way it felt to me um, uh, but uh, I thought it was uh, I, I definitely kind of appreciate um, the kind of this, the span of this movie like a lot happens in this movie right like I, I like I, I forgot that the like the Zola thing I thought the Zola thing happened in like one of the Avengers movies um, but like this just like goes far right and, and wide-reaching um, in a way that I think is super satisfying um, especially by like you get a lot of mileage, I think, of this like you, you kind of like tamper the you know why you call Stark problem a bit by like having Falcon and having Black Widow be there and having Fury be there, right? So you know there's at least like um, the pieces um, around um, or pieces of that around, I guess is, is the right way to put it. Um, also, this is kind of like the better version of a lot of these other plot lines, right? Like this is a better version of kind of it's not quite PTSD, but like you know. Um, person dealing with, with with his problems you've got the better version i think of you know um man actually needs to wants to be subjugated type of deal i don't still don't think it's great here but i think it's a better much better version of than than you know loki's version in avengers um uh and i think it's it's a pretty good kind of uh uh kind of stealth like like the hydra thing is kind of stealth right like it's, it's not like a thing that I, that you know i think we expected going into it um and kind of like it's it's uh, all-encompassing nature, I think, is, is, is super well done. Um, yeah, so I have a theory that 
at this point, the Marvel movies have kind of also become this thing about plot twists, which okay. kind of sort of starts in Iron Man three, to be honest, with like the Mandarin plot twist. But um, and but it continues in Thor two with like the the Loki stuff. In here, it is that like Shield is bad actually, where all of the movies tend to have a core central sort of plot twist that is not given away in the trailers that kind of like makes and dominates the discussion around the movie afterwards because i remember that you know in the same way that the mandarin like i said was the thing that dominated the conversation for iron man 3 it was this shield hydra stuff that completely dominated the landscape of discussion for captain america the the winter soldier right it was all surrounding like the construction of this plot twist and how this plot twist was kind of like executed and and what that sort of means and i think that this is something that actually is going to be true going forward for most of the marvel movies they will all sort of have this sort of like core plot twist that is kept out of the you know like that is kept out of the marketing um that kind of is what is what people end up like talking about a little less so with some of the solo projects um but definitely very much so uh kind of here i think in a plot perspective this this is probably the you know like the cleanest it is the sleekest of the of the marvel movies right you know the structure is really tight and it really just hums right um all of the beats come in like i don't know so uh one of the hardest things I think to get right in a movie is pacing. Uh, so like I've talked about this with BVS before where the problem with BVS is it's theatrical edition on, from my perspective is, is narrative arthritis where too many important beats are just right up against each other and they don't have this like gummy room between them to just kind of like let you come down. And this is a great movie that is the opposite of that, right? Where it's just like between the moments of very like high tension and high drama you will get small short scenes that like just bridge these you know like bridge these gaps along the way um i think the core thing that this movie honestly does the best though is action uh it is probably the first marvel movie that i would say has good action almost all of them i would say before this are bad and I think I have said almost all of them before this are bad. And sometimes they're bad for, like, different sorts of reasons, right? Like, the action in Iron Man 3 is almost all bad just because Tony never suits up, right? Um, I would probably, if, if we were to sit here and break down an action scene, I would probably point to pieces of the filmmaking that I don't like, uh, like cutting on the hit. This is, this is the thing that really kills me, is they do this thing where somebody goes to punch someone and they cut when the, when the punch happens, which to me, just destroys it, like, all of the momentum in that shot, right? Um, it's disorienting. You now need to re you need, like, to change your, uh, where your eye is looking at on the screen. So, like, the impact of somebody getting punched is completely gone. This movie has very little of that in comparison, right? Like, there's a lot of these uh, sort of moments where the camera is nice and wide, and you're just watching them, you know, trade shots. In fact, they do it basically four times in a row they do it right off the bat with batrock and then they kind of progressively go anytime anybody gets into a hand-to-hand -hand scene there will be a thing where the two of them are side by side and they're like pa 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 and it's very it's very clear and very legible which i love um i also think that a, a lot of the you know nick fury getting attacked by these cops in his cool car like 
this is the kind of action scene that normally elevates the other movies. Like, so for instance, in Iron Man 3, there's the part where they're falling out of the plane, and there's like a little mini action scene where Tony is catching all of the people together. Like, that works fine. That works great. And it's these sorts of like different kind of action scenes. It's not just punching people that kind of break up the monotony. And in this movie, it's stuff like Nick Fury escaping this car thing or there's also the version where they're in the car and the winter soldier is trying to get them and that transitions into a more kind of typical like sort of fight scene or whatever and um and i think one of the crazy things about this is it it sort of su suggests to me that maybe the biggest problem with some of these early marvel movies is just the action like it is just that the action in them is not good and that's why they're not as memorable. Like, maybe, you know, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the sleek plot. Maybe it's the whatever. Maybe it's the shield plot twist or whatever. But I think, honestly, maybe the reason we remember Captain America the Winter Soldier and not Thor 2 is because one of them had good action and the other one sort of sort of didn't. I don't really know. That's, that's just, like, I, I really, really felt the difference coming out of, you know, Avengers, coming out of Iron Man 3, coming out of Thor 2, uh, that the action in this one, I was like, good job. Okay. No, I, I think I buy that. I, I do think that, like, kind of, like, the, the other aspects definitely contribute. I, I'm not willing to, to say that, like, the action's, like, the sole differentiator. But I get, I yeah, get, sure. I, I get your, uh, your your point there. Um, what else is there? I, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I think is funny is that I think the movie actually is pretty bad on a character level. Which is to say that, like, n so, <sighs> Captain America has the same, is, has the Superman problem where you can't give him that typical hero narrative, right? Like, Captain America is fundamentally selfless and self-sacrificing, right? So you can't give him a character arc that is the typical arc of, I was selfish, and then I learned to be selfless, right? Um, which is all over these other movies. So basically, all the Marvel movies uh, are, are grounded in that, in that like, core arc. Um, and so, Steve doesn't really have an arc in this. In fact, I think the real arc is Nick Fury's, technically. Yeah, Fury's but like, Fury and maybe is such Natasha's. A, uh, like yeah, the, but, the, like, the, you know, it's weird to like sort of Falcons. pin that on these sort of minor characters. And I would say that the film kind of lacks heart because of that, in a way, right? Like, I don't latch on to a character and their journey in the same way that I would latch on to um, other characters and sort of their... You know, like, there are stakes in the drama on, on that sort of level. Even the stuff with Bucky, I don't think is that great. Uh, I remember it being more than it was and being more important than it was, which I think might be a remnant of I've read the comics, and in the comics, this process is much... First of all, it's much more drawn out. And second of all, you are with Bucky as he is learning his own past, and that's, like, its own sort of parallel journey to the stuff that Cap is doing at the time. Um, he Like, that. There, there's really just this moment of Cap where he goes... Oh, that's my friend Bucky. And then at the end, it it is the you know it's part of the climax where you know Bucky saves Cap and he's like, I'm not going to fight you anymore and all this other sort of stuff. And I think all that all that stuff sort of like works, but it's not part of any like bigger, real or more important character stuff, which I would have probably liked to see. Uh, though you know maybe that's just like a wishful thinking kind of yeah because uh, it does come back right? like we do have to like deal with it at some point. Right. Yeah, it definitely does come back in, in Civil War. I think that this actually... So, uh, Patrick H. Williams, and I talked about this a little bit, has a series about what he calls the limitations of the Marvel movies. And I talked about how one of the things that Avengers does really well is it sells the bigger universe outside of, like, these movies and, like, the things that are that are kind of happening off screen, in a way. Um, 
where you know like the way that like clint and natasha are like talking about other missions that they've had together and you get that sense that like you know they've done this before a, a, a bunch of times or whatever i think that kind of stuff is sort of like lacking here but on an emotional sort of like level like it basically seems like cap i, I don't know I, I i i don't love i don't love that character stuff i don't think it really brings the movie down it's kind of just like it's just kind of not there and i it, it leaves the movie a little bit sort of like hollow and i think it's probably one of the reasons i haven't really revisited this one as much as uh like some of the other ones that I like have gone back to a bunch of times and like I've rewatched, you know, a million times over and over and over again. Cause those, those movies have like sort of heart, but this movie reminds me of, and I it, like, like we had talked about bad times at the El Royale, which is like a fun puzzle to solve. But once I watched it the one time I knew I was never going back. It is just a very well plotted movie that once you watch, you're like, okay, you, you, you got most of, you know, most of everything out of it. And I think the same thing is kind of true for Winter Soldier, right? Like, maybe I would go back to, like, watch the action scenes again, because that stuff is, like, cool and interesting. But without, like, the real sort of character, you know, underlying any of it, I sort of felt like, eh. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I buy that. Um, I think that, I think that, so, I think that part of the problem is, is that, like, the underlying, like, the, the arc I think that's supposed to be for Cap is like him learning to not be a soldier, right? Like that's, you know, it's not quite PTSD, but it's along that lines. Um, and the other thing is like, you know, the heart is supposed to be like the heart of America almost, right? Like it's the moment where Cap is like, you know, Shield's been infiltrated by Hydra, you know, all, you know, true Americans stand up and, and, and you know, and revolt. And like they do, right? Like, like you know, for the, for the most part, you know, people don't sort like there's the i think i think that actually that moment's pretty great where like you know he threatens the like the, the computer guy and he's like no i'm not, I'm not gonna do it right like and i i think i think that works on an emotional level it almost like almost to the point where like it might like it, it felt almost manipulative i don't know if it quite kind of like flips over that line but like i think i think it works at least at least it like pulls the heartstring um um but like i think i think you're right like this is just kind of like you can't you can't um give you can't make cap a bad person really in any way so um just isn't quite come to the street everybody say hello to orion nope. <laughs> just <laughs> climbed onto camera don't hello, show everyone orion. your butt please orion anyway yeah i i definitely agree with that um cause, and this is sort of why i think it's furies because this is this is the thing cap starts the movie by getting a whiff of some corruption inside of shield and then he immediately goes to nick fury and is like this is bullshit right um so I don't think that that's a real like I see what you're saying, but like that's not that's not the arc. The arc is Fury, who in the beginning of the movie goes, "Well, you know, it's fine, means. security, and justify the means, right?" Yeah. And then he has the conversation with Fury afterwards, where he's like, "Well, we can get rid of these Hydra guys, and Shield will be back to business." And Cap's like, "No, it will not. Yeah. You are wrong, sir." Yeah, yeah. And then he looks at everybody else, and he's like, "You know what? Fair enough." You got me. That that's an arc, right? right? right. That's a that's a character who changes from point A to point B. Uh, you know, <laughs> Cap does not. I, I will agree with you that it's not super well done, but I think that's what it's supposed to be, right? Like Cap is like I'm a Fair soldier enough. and I can't get out, right? It's like maybe I'll get out now or something like that. Um, yeah, there is sort of that like there's like hints of that tension in his con in his uh, conversations with falcon right so I I, I I I see that i see that for sure and i do like the the he is too he is too much of a soldier for this that also happens with natasha where they're talking about how um you know he hasn't found a girlfriend and like he can't live like 
oh, his home life or or whatever else sort of thing. Um, I think that stuff all also all works, but that's like characterization, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's not—it's not quite like an art. And, and the kind of the 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 whole kind of like the resolution of this like kind of setup is uh, is that you know no you don't actually have to live with it you go back in time and uh, un, and you know reverse it all and it's all good. <laughs> uh, which is well. So the funny thing is, I actually think this culminates in Ultron, which I guess we'll talk about next week. Uh, and I I think this is also true for Thor two, and it is also true for Iron Man three, uh, which is that. The, these movies set set up things that actually are paid off better in Ultron yeah. um, than than they are here. Which I guess I, I don't want to talk too much about that now, obviously, because we're not on Ultron yet. But like Ultron hits PTSD Tony, it hits Thor and and his like kind of ambivalence as king, and it hits kind of Captain America can't live a normal life. All in that movie in a way that I would say is more satisfying than in each of these kind of individual movies. Okay, yeah, um, I, I buy that. But we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that next week. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to mention about the Winter Soldier that I liked a lot was this was maybe the moment where villains got good in in the MC in the MCU because which we typically don't think of or say. I don't think anybody. I, w people always talk about how the Marvel movie villains suck, um, and they will continue to suck through throughout the rest of you know like these movies. We're gonna get to uh, you know like we're gonna get to the Doctor Strange guy. No, I don't even fucking remember that guy's name, and I love that movie. Um, we're gonna get to you know uh, whoever the guy is in Ant Man that I also don't remember his name. Um, but in this movie, I think Pierce Secretary Pierce is great. And I think Winter Soldier is great on like the as like villains for the like for the movie. Even like Rumlow, right, who is Crossbones in the comics, um, is is really great. And like it, it's crazy to me that they made a a good compelling antagonist character out of someone who doesn't even get like a superhero name or superhero stuff. He's just like the guy. He's the like the tack leader, you know, guy. Even Bartrock or Batrock. Um, who is actually based off Batrock the Leaper, who is, like, a very dumb villain from, like, the comics, gets his own sort of, like, I don't know, like, cool villain introduction doing villain sorts of adjacent stuff. So I, I forgot how good it was in this movie and uh, and how well it worked in this movie. Yeah, those are, like, really good Easter eggs, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. if you know, you know. Um, yeah. Um, well, we're almost out of time for the main section, and uh, we owe people a... Uh, uh, what's it called uh, uh, a ranking so do you have uh, your, your your rankings okay so uh starting with iron man 3 iron man 3 ranked the lowest of these and i slotted it in between thor and iron man so it is now third from the bottom in what i would call probably the bad movies for me uh iron man 3 iron man and captain america being my bottom three then uh thor 2 is between is under iron man 2 and above hulk uh, so pretty squarely in that like good camp, and then Captain America: Winter Soldier is number two behind the Avengers in my current ranking. So my current ranking goes: the Avengers number one, Winter Soldier, Iron Man two, Thor two, Hulk, Thor, Iron Man three, Iron Man, Captain America. All right. So for me, um, Iron Man three went straight to the bottom, and Captain America went straight to the top. <laughs> so, um, and then Thor, <laughs> and then Thor two. Um, I actually because I liked it so much, I actually like. 
I have it like slightly below Avengers and maybe tied. I haven't decided if it if it if it uh like gets the full. Yeah. Title. To be clear, my ranking is personal preference. This is yeah. did I like the movie? Not do I think the movie is good. I think yeah. if by movie is good, I would shuffle these around quite a bit because sure. I think Iron Man One is better than I'm giving it credit for. Captain America is better than I'm giving it credit for. Okay. Yeah. I, it, same thing for me, right? So so my list top to bottom is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man One, Avengers, tied with Thor Two. Um, Captain America, the first Avenger, Iron Man 2, Thor 1, Incredible Hulk, and then Iron Man 3. So, Wow. Okay. We have very different lists. This is great, though. That's really interesting. I like that w that our lists are not uh, are not very similar. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So, next week, uh, if you guys want to do the rewatching along with us, it'll be, um, what is it? It's uh, Guardians. Avengers Age of Ultron, Guardians, and Ant-Man. Ant yeah. in, that, in that order, I believe. Yes. Um, and don't, like two of those. Uh, three... It might not be. It might be Guardians. I'm so, now I want to check. I, I think it's. I think. I think that's. I think those are the last three movies in Phase Two. Um, is yeah. Guardians, Ultron, the... Ant Man in that order. Um, it is definitely those three. I just don't know what the order is. Okay, it's Guardians first. So it's Guardians, Ultron, Ant Man. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. And uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited because two of those three are like personal favorites for me. Although I'm. I'm I, I remember. Ant-Man not holding up as well as I thought it did on rewatch before Ant-Man 2. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Jesus Christ, Ant-Man 2. I forgot about Ant-Man 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, Woof, this is going to be... Well, this is close to us picking up because the first movie, the first Marvel movie we ever did was Civil War, right? Which is the first movie in Phase 3. So after next week's episodes, we will be covering movies we already covered on the cast, yeah, which is even more interesting. I wonder, like, do you... I, I'm going to go back will and Will I go back? Yeah, well, I might go back and listen to our old cast to see what I to see what I said about some of these things. Yeah. I don't know. I, part of me wants to record it blind. Oof. Like, I don't want to taint myself with my old arguments. Mm. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll think about it some more. How's your week? Tell me. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me all about your week. Yeah. So my, my week's my week's been been all right. So the thing, the big thing I've done this week is I went back and uh, been playing a lot of Apex Legends with friends of the cast, Monica and X, which has been like. Oh yeah, season season seven came yeah. out. I follow one of those devs on Twitter, so I, that's like my Apex Legends news. Is uh, he'll sometimes tweet about like the latest updates. And uh, so I think so they've got a new map, which is super neat, just like for variety. I, I think this like idea where you like you just like generate new maps and like keep the game from getting stale that way is super cool i think they've made some very smart decisions like so everybody drops like so the do you know what an evo shield is okay so for the folks at home that don't know most of these games have an armor system this game had a very traditional armor system at the beginning right you get like various armor systems that are better or not these you can still find better ones on the map but as you deal damage your shield upgrades so if you like it rewards engagement because if you go and engage, oh, um, you'll get a you'll 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 get better shields. Um, there's also another way to upgrade it, which is the crafting system, which is all right. It's not my favorite thing, but I also I think it's it's decently well done. Um, but I think but so everybody drops with like no shield, but it's got like the Evo quality on it. So if you deal enough damage, you'll upgrade yourself. Um, and then the other half of this, and then like you like I said, you can find things on the ground. So I think that's like a super smart idea, right? Like that you can keep if you choose big engagements are rewarded for it beyond kind of like the loot stuff which uh uh you know tops off at a certain point um uh, i also unlocked it's not the season's new character which is a uh this is irish i think irish or scottish uh what scientist that like does like some repulsive stuff i picked um i unlocked loba which is a couple seasons old at this point and she's a uh 
her ability is she tosses her bracelet and she teleports to it, which is funny for mobility stuff, but it makes a loud noise and like the kind of exit animation is super long. Like she like puts the bracelet back on, it takes like a couple. So if you like flick at somebody in front of somebody, you're probably dead because you you don't pull off your gun fast enough. Um, so I think it's super interesting, a, a super interesting mechanic in that it like gives you the mobility, but like doesn't really let you kind of flank with it at super or lets you flank okay, but like you can't engage with it, right? Like you have you have to either be sneaky about it, and like people definitely know what you're doing. Um, so like you have to go into an already uh, happening firefight with it if that's what you're gonna do. Um, and then her ult, which I think is super interesting, is she it's called the black market. She drops down a, a beacon, and uh, it basically in a radius, all of the loot you can pull out of that beacon and you can only pull two pieces of significant loot you can pull all the ammo you want but like i think it's a really cool idea right like it kind of shortcuts the like you know looting process um at least for like the hyper important stuff you want to get um so uh, i think it's like a really i think i just think they've done some like really cool stuff with uh the the way they've kind of incentivized different things in the game the crafting stuff is also super cool i'm not super cool it, like i said it, it's all right but it's like an interesting way to Kind of frame the fight there are, there are items that won't drop on the map you must craft them um so it kind of like incentivizes play around that if it's like core to your build also adds a level of certainty right so like if items are are on the crafting table that you want like then you can like build around them um so yeah overall i think it's it's, it's been a super lot of fun we've gotten two wins so far uh this season um we played so who did i play i played with uh, friend of the cast monic x and uh and fortune hunter um and uh uh it's been it's 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 been a time um i, I definitely think it's it gets the thumbs up for me um the other th I, the other thing i did to mention is i just barely touched deep rock galactic and i think this is a game that you would really like um oh yeah i know deep we know the deep rock galactic devs they just won because uh, they're so mutazioni is done by danish devs and they're also danish ah. is how we know them well, the Danes know each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I think they won... Like, Mutatsuyani was up for an award that was, like, best... It's called Sprilsin, which is Danish for something. But it's, like, the, the Danish video game awards. Okay. And Mutatsuyane and Deep Rock Galactic were up against one another in Deep Rock, Deep Rock Galactic one. So, like I said, I think you'd like it because it's, like, a co-op PvE shooter, which seems to be your jam. Yeah. Um, and it's it so it recently came onto Game Pass, which is why I decided to check it out. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I've been uh, so I, I I like I said I barely touched. It. I did the tutorial and we were about to start a match and then uh, somebody else got on and we played Apex instead. Um, but like it's it, it seems neat. I'm interested in playing more of it in the future. Um, and uh, so let's talk about your week before we talk about Star Wars, I guess. Uh, man, my week's pretty boring. I just played more gone viral and more wow i have leveled a total of seven characters to max since pre-patch hit about a month ago at this point so it was pre-patch dropped on october 13th which is about four weeks it's four weeks from tomorrow so in the last 27 days i have leveled seven characters to uh to max level which has been Honestly, I just keep doing it, and I just keep going, and I just get it. I make a new guy, and I level a new character, and I just can't stop myself. It's so, it's like, it's very addicting, specifically because it has given me, like, an opportunity to, like, do that thing where I'm, like, watching stuff. Like, I talked about watching The Wire. I was basically doing that, you know, uh, all of all of last week, where I started the week before, and then I was, like, watching all the way through, um, which was, honestly, I had to stop watching it because the presidential election was stressing me out and i couldn't 
like watch like this drama which is also stressful and tense you know what i mean like people are dying stuff is happening it's like you know it's 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 all about like politics or whatever and so i swapped off of that to watch american vandal which i've talked about a couple of times on this cast the parody the satire of true crime shows um yeah it's, it's <laughs> yeah. just because i needed something like lighter and like more fun yeah, I, I watched the first season of american vandal like uh, maybe a year ago um it was super fun to watch so uh, yeah, definitely understand why you why you would do that uh, instead of whatever else is happening in this world. Uh, I also watched a, a small thing I want to talk about is I also watched a YouTube video by Patrick H. Willems, who's quickly becoming. I just like love this guy. I actually I actually want to do a podcast episode on him as if it's a season of television because he has this whole bit for quarantine called the talk show era where he creates his own talk show, and I think that that run of videos is fucking hilarious, and I would love to talk about a bunch of them. But the most recent one he did was on Austin Powers. Where Austin Powers, where he, he, he basically, the, the whole video is the Austin Powers trilogy is a parody of movies that were not out yet, right? Like, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and Goldmember all have these tropes in them that they are, that it's making fun of, right? It's like making fun of these tropes, right? That would later be like real things in movies like later down the line and he basically just points out the similarities of how weird it is that like this comedic movie franchise from the early 2000s the, the late 90s early 2000s way before we ever got to like all this franchise reboot you know like stuff with like origin stories or whatever but he just like points out how like you know in gold member it turns out that um it turns out that like dr evil and uh, it turns out so in in Austin Powers Gold Member, it turns out that Doctor Evil and Austin Powers are secretly brothers, right? And that is a twist that is unironically used in Spectre, the James Bond film, fifteen years later. <laughs> it's like how the fuck did these guys like make that writing decision or whatever? And I just thought that movie. I watched that and I was dying laughing. Because of how funny it was. Oh, I was also dying laughing because I watched Borat. Borat 2. Which was just funny. Um, I disagree with any and all takes that it is like this politically momentous, super important movie. I also sort of disagree with takes about Borat 1 in that in that sense. Um, I mostly just think Borat is funny because he gets people to say terrible things. He tricks people into being their worst selves on camera. That's it. That's the joke. It, there are some times when that's politics. Like, he talks about in the first movie, like, he, he makes reference to, like, oh, like, we kill homosexuals in, in Kazakhstan, and there's this, like, cowboy guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, we'd love to do that here, too. And it's like, and people always point to that scene. They're like, Borat is so political. But I'm just sort of like, honestly, like, what is the politics in him picking up a bear and driving by a bunch of kids who see the bear and scream. You know what I mean? Like, what's the politics in that? What are the politics to him, like, joining up with this frat boy RV and them all getting drunk together, right? Like, he's just tricking people into being funny. He's not... I don't really think that there's anything super more, more to it than that. And in the same way, you know, Borat 2 is more directly... You know, like, it is more directly political. Um, 
because it is like about Trump and they're trying to make stuff happen about Trump and I sort of see it or whatever. But the core comedy in that in that film is just this tricking people into you know like into being their worst selves. Honestly, the best bit is they go to a debutante ball in Macon, Georgia, and it's just I was like falling out of my chair. It's like this has nothing to do with politics. Like anyway, so yep, I watched Borat too. I Weird have, hot take that it's not that political, I guess. I, I have not, um, uh, but uh, so I watched the Red Letter Media review of it, and the only thing that I would add is that they point out that it seems like more of this was edited rather than being like kind of like raw footage, right? Like the, specifically with like the, uh, I think they go through like the, the, the Rudy Giuliani scene, which is like the thing that's like making the big splash, and it's like there's a lot of moments where you can tell that it was like edited, like, you know, like people facing away from the camera when lines get spoken so that like they're, they're, added in afterwards stuff like that um but you know it, yeah to be honest the rudy giuliani stuff it's funny like don't get yeah. me wrong but like it like it is the least funny thing the probably the funniest bit actually so i don't know it's maybe the debutante ball but there's another bit that deals with um QAnon supporters uh which is also very funny uh <laughs> that one's pretty political i guess where he's basically well whatever i won't ruin the joke but you know yeah, uh, so, I don't know. I, I have not watched Borat 2. Um, maybe I'll check it out at some point if uh, if I care enough to. Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't think it's all that deep. I mean, I also watched Borat 1 in preparation for Borat 2, and I forgot how sort of, like, it's a very one-and-done movie. And I remember it being huge, right? Like, we were all talking about it. We were all quoting it. There's a bit in Kroll Show about quoting Borat being a thing that, like, middle-aged white guys do <laughs> and i was like yeah well i remember that i was there when people were like you know unironically quoting borat and it was cringy but um very nice I forgot kind of how yeah exactly exactly right <laughs> and then and then in the in the show in the crawl show bit somebody goes like very nice he's like is that is that still cool quoting borat is that still cool and all these other guys are like yeah dude yeah that's that's still cool that's still cool man <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that was, that was one of my favorite tweets. It's like the, the final curse of 2020 is, is the Borat voice comes back and everybody keeps doing it again. Honestly, one of the funniest things about... So one of the funniest things about Borat 2 is how hard he had to go to not be Borat. In most of the scenes, he had to dress up in the fat suit with a big beard so that people wouldn't recognize him. Uh, because in one of the other first scenes, he go, just is walking around as Borat, and everyone's like, "It's Borat!" <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, so I, when you become, you know, that recognizable. This is actually a question I, I I have for you because I think part of the magic maybe of the first movie is that like he's always in character, right? Like, you know, like mm -hmm. yes, we know that it's fake, but like he is always Borat in character, and like the, the only things I've seen are like clips. Um, and it feels like he has to drop character at some point. Like um, the, the scene where he dresses up as Donald Trump and like brings a woman out to give to Mike Pence. I saw like a clip of that. Um, uh, that seems like he would have had to drop out of character as Borat to like make that work, right? Like it's gotta be him. Okay, so ironically, that stuff is pretty well supported by the character because of how clear it is to the plot of the movie. Like I, yeah. I definitely understand what you're talking about out of context, but there's actually a whole other bit about setting up that bit. That's also pretty Okay. Funny. So if, if, if it works, it works. That's, that's why I'm asking, right? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I totally get that. No, it, the, it is definitely harder. And a lot more of the comedy is on, especially for like the under, like the undercover scenes is on the daughter, um, rather than on him. 
which uh, I think is just as funny, but like it is, it is, a, it is a very different dynamic. Like he is not doing as much on camera jokes stuff. I think because he might, it might like ruin it if he has too high a profile. So she is the one who is doing most of the interactions. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting because I like before it even came out, I saw like a news report that like some like some gun store owner like he had walked in, and like the gun store owner like looked at him and like recognized him and like threw him out of the shop. It's like I'm, you're not doing this to me, um, type of deal. <laughs> um, so you know, uh, def- definitely at, at least like it. I, I will at least laud the fact that like there was no warning for this. It's like, and now there's another Borat film that comes out. It's like that's. Uh, I cannot believe it. how did that not become a thing, right? Like people were talking about on like Twitter or something like that. I don't know. Maybe maybe they were. We just didn't see it. It never got trending, kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, 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 do we, do we want to talk about st- the Star Wars? Yeah, we can talk about Star Wars. We played Star Wars yesterday. Did we talk about actually? When was the last time we talked about Star Wars on the cast? I don't remember. I also don't remember. I GM'd this session, uh, in in a in a return to GMing, of a, a, a vaunted return to GMing. Um, which to be honest, I was pretty I was pretty happy with. I was almost like a little nervous because I was just like, I have not done any prep work for this, and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, um, you but, definitely you do know. it better than I do. Like uh, it's like the like the improvised stuff. Like I, I just don't have the quickness that you do. Um, so kudos to you for that. It was it, it, it played out super super fun. Um, but yeah, um, I I've, I underestimated how powerful you guys have gotten. Yeah, I, I think the, you one shotting the two guys. I was like, fuck, like. Which, to be fair, is like rolling triumphs, obviously, right? But still. Yeah, I, so, I mean, it's not actually, right? Because I killed those guys outright without the triumphs, right? Like, like I just did enough damage. Don't you need the triumph to activate the cool thing? Oh, you need a destiny point yeah. to activate the cool thing. I was, th- I was thinking triumphs for those. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think Honestly, I was like... Well, so, oh, there's, there's kind of a couple pieces of this. I was planning on having more kill teams showed up. But, like, it was going to show up over time, and you guys kind of killed the first one so fast, and I didn't want to be like, well, then here's another one. And, yeah, I because, like, I remember I was looking through enemies, I was like, what's a good enemy for this? And I saw, it's like a, just a basic rival mook who had adversary, and I was like, wow, that's tough. Like, adversary is rough. And when I was playing, maybe it's just like a GM player thing. When I was playing as a player, I was like, god, fucking adversary sucks. It is hard to kill these guys when they have, like, adversaries or whatever. Um... But uh, but yeah, I really underestimated the amount of damage that you guys would do. Yeah, I think I think you need to pump adversary and pump uh, like the defenses like a bit. I think I think it's just like I think we also might be hitting like a like an inflection point where like if we have too many people playing, like it, I don't know because like like we have enough people playing that like the skill challenges can be picked up by the skill characters and like the combat can be handled by the. Combat oh, characters. I absolutely yeah, and and that one is useless in the other. I absolutely felt that. Because it's like when I was when I was doing the thing with perce- or I'm sorry not perception with stealth, where you did one of these where you were like okay roll the worst the the part the person in the party is the worst stealth check right like it is the worst stealth check in the party and it was like one green I was like fucking really <laughs> but it's because like I was just you know like we're so used to seeing kind of like the top echelon of, of players that we never sort of see the the bottom side of things, um, but you know yeah and even even then we kind of hold. We kind of hold V over the finish line with the second check there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I think is good. Like, I like that stuff, uh, and uh, and I think it's interesting. And I think that, that – I don't think that there was as much tension as I would have liked. Like, I don't think that this 
this session was dangerous or like that you guys felt like it was it was like dangerous but there were a lot of really like important tactical and strategic decisions that i thought were interesting like i liked the uh the, there were i don't know there were just like a bunch of conversations where people were like well how what is our plan how are we going this is one of the few sessions where it feels like we pretty you know we got right into it people were making decisions stuff was happening Right, like we weren't in that kind of like one-hour malaise that that dominates. Yeah. I, I think uh, that, I think the other side of that though is that I think we started to get into like like interplayer arguments for a little bit too long. Um, oh yeah, that whole thing. With, that's why I asked Rohan. Oh my god, Rohan was like, we shouldn't tell him the plan. I was like, Rohan, what the fuck do you think the plan is? Because like he clearly didn't understand the setup of the mission itself and was arguing not to tell the kid when it's like. If you don't understand, if you think we have to bring the robot somewhere specific, you clearly don't understand the mission parameters. Yeah. Right. Like. I, I, that. I, I, think, I think that kind of like talks to like the the size problem. I think it's easy to kind of like yeah. lose the weeds. Like I even like lost the weeds. It's like, you know, I probably would have like I was like, oh yeah, we need to get the get the droid to them, and like we could have just left it there when we got detected or something. Like, and you know, you made clear that that doesn't quite work, but like that's at least a thing that I should have thought to like bring up. Um, I, I think I think it's hard to make enemies super threatening in this too, right? Like it's like because the, the the comic it's very rocket taggy, right? Like if you built a character to stand up to like Argus and uh, and Jed, Argus and Jed goes down at least, right? Like like that's the only way like you can do that. And at that point, like if Argus and Jed both go down, like do we even have the firepower to deal with it? Um, yeah, that is that is absolutely the other piece of it. I feel like between you, me, and Nick, which is nice because we're all GMs, right? But imagine a, a situation where, like, Phelanor decides he wants to GM for the first time or whatever, and he has to have Argus, Omega, and Jad all in the same group. <laughs> where it's like, yes, I specialize in fucking mulching these guys, like... And, you know, and, and that's part of my thing. I haven't even optimized Omega. I have specifically not taken dedication because, like... I don't want to optimize that fully, right? Like, I know, I see it, I know that I'm supposed to get, like, six agility or whatever. I ask the correct decision, and if I make and if I make that choice, I will be, like, a murder house, but I'm sitting here like, I'm gonna pump brawn. Fuck you, yeah. game. Like... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think, like, I, I did some, like, like... I got the combat to last for, like, more than a round in in, uh, in the Cotelier stuff that I did by just, mm -hmm. like, I took, like, a very high-level enemy, and then I, like, like, you know, I threw, like, I took the Mandalorian armor and just, like, pumped some stats that were related to that. It's like, all right, the Mandalorian <laughs> makes him better at this stuff. Um, and honestly, I, I was hoping that, so, the thing that I, I, I ultimately failed at, so, for because we didn't stream this, I should explain. In the previous session, Nick got to, uh, or Argus got to face down his enemy, Red, and then there was um uh uh, uh what did I name him Bato something Bato Bothins mm. Bato Bothins right and the thing I wanted to go for was like you know you know Nick was so mad at Red but Red wasn't really his enemy it was you know like Bato is the person that he supposed like that like he should be fighting right because like he's like the, the the him in the mirror he's like the honorable warrior right but like I yeah. couldn't I couldn't make Bato good enough in order for <clears throat> in order for that to really work. Um, mm. Yeah, something that the book talks about that I want to do more of, to be honest, is it says that um, the goal of combat should never be TPKs. It should be to go to outrun or chase down. You know what I mean? Like, one side is trying to retreat. The other side is, like, trying to, to chase. Whether that is, like, 
the party getting chased down by gr- by a group or the other or like the the uh the group trying to chase down a target sort of thing because it's sort of and i i i this is something that i picked up in hell's rebels and i and i talked a lot about in hell's rebels where like I very quickly found that, like, the TPK room-by-room sort of thing was not super engaging, and that the best way for me to structure combats was to create non, uh, like, death, like, where goals of the combat were not about. Like, I I always come back to the one with the rhinos, where, like, you were were in the inn, but then the the Leonin rhino cavaliers were attacking. Their goal was not to kill you guys. It was to kill a bunch of helpless diplomats, right? And so the goal of that combat was keep these vips alive right um compared to where you know like the goal is to kill all of the rhino riders sort of thing um and i think that 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 is something that i probably want to employ more of when it comes to sort of like star wars right um where you know yeah pathfinder or dnd i think dnd 5e actually does a pretty good job of like keeping enemies dangerous later um but uh, and I have yet to experience the PF two to to make a real good call there. But um, yeah, how deep are you guys in PF two on that PF two game? Um, so that game is not super. So the 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 one that that, that Nick's running is uh, it's like Adventure Pass and or not Adventure Pass. It's it's, it's Pathfinder Society stuff, and uh, okay, it's just solidifying my opinion that I don't like Pathfinder Society. Um, and this is not okay. this is not Nick's fault. It's just kind of like it's very mechanical, and they're by nature like super, um, super kind of divorced from each other, um. The, the way I think that these things kind of work at least a little bit well is like it lets you kind of like do what you want with the characters, right? Like you, like you can have like, you know, inter-character dialogue that kind of like goes a little bit off the rails because it's not like – because like you have the rails of the – of like the actual adventure to kind of like keep you on track otherwise. Um, uh, I am playing in, in separate games with, with people who, who don't even know this podcast exists, um, uh, a couple of different uh, adventure paths. Um, and I think those – like I'm level six in uh, in another one, and it actually was like super super interesting because last session I played like so I played this Saturday, and then the session before that um, we just got bad rolls and we all went down like it like and this is like wow you know, yeah and it went in like you know and it didn't go we didn't go down like immediately right it was a couple of rounds of consistently getting bad rolls and we couldn't pull it out um, and we just didn't we just tried to fight the fight head on and we didn't fight it smart and this time we played we. We're, like we, we got a, like a path to recovery out of TPK and it worked, um, but like we, we approached the same like it wasn't exactly the same encounter but a similar encounter and like we just were like well we'll play it smart this time we played smart and it went off without a hitch, so um, I think that PF2E seems to be good for that for now I it, I um, I you know I'll report back as I play more because that that game needs a little bit more consistently um, and. Uh, uh, puts it yeah, I have yet to touch the system, so it's something that I'm like very interested in, yeah. right? Like when it comes to uh, the way that it played. Like the only game that I'm in right now is the Star Wars game, so I haven't I haven't touched Pathfinder or Five E or anything. Oh, that's not true. I actually have played some Five E. I played a couple of pickup games of Five E at work, um, which have honestly also been very fun. And uh, but it's clear one of the things that I find very funny is that the group of people that I play with at work are very clearly theater kid type players. Though they think very analytically, but, like, the game is not built for, right, like, someone who is, like, power gaming, in a way. Um, it is harder to power game, were... I think, in 5e and in PF2e, which I think is good. 
Like, it's, it's harder to... Well, like, so, I... I uh, fair enough, but I definitely had a couple of times in the encounters where I was like, I don't think... Shout out to Joey. Joey, who, by the way, is a fantastic GM. And the decisions were, like, really great. But, like, it was one of those things where, like, on a mechanical challenge level, I don't think that he properly, like, tuned the encounter to be as difficult as it could have or should have been, in a way. Um, based on, like... And, and I did that thing where, like... Because I was playing at a at, at, at a Captain Crunch level in a way, I sort of trivialized an encounter that should not have been trivialized. Because I was I was like a level five sorcerer and I just had two lightning bolts in the thing and the big final fight, it was like, okay, well if I set up smart lines with my lightning bolts, I can just lightning bolt, lightning bolt, and that's the encounter. Uh, and that was basically it. It was two it was two lightning bolts and the whole encounter was sort of like over. It's like oh whoops, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I, th I think that's because, like, that's definitely a tuning thing. And it's, so this is interesting, right? Because, like, um, in the 5e game that I played, the long-running one, we're, like, level 12 or at this point. Um, I'm not, tri like, I'm not tr starting to trivializing or I'm, I'm significantly um, turn burning up the encounters not because I'm power gaming, right? It's because I have access to, like, like the, the big ones have been, like, banished, right? Like, I take, like... Um, just the nature of the campaign is there's a lot of extra player stuff. So it's like, I just like remove a threat from the encounter um, by being smart about like the button I press. It's like, I target the thing that probably has a low will save with the thing that requires a will save. And then it's not a problem. Um, and uh, like the GM has been, been pretty good. Like shout out to Chris, who is an excellent GM. Um, uh, he's been working with that by like putting more bodies on the field. So I can't banish all of them or, um, or like, just kind of like working around that. And I think that's just like a kind of thing where like you need to feel out what's happening there, right? Like you, you, you just have the experience to know that like, oh, I probably can't afford to like let them stand in a line to let the, the you know, lightning bolt sorcerer fuck it all up, right? Like um, I think it's also kind of like a, a situation where like a like it's, it's a decent way to kind of like also reward, like, you know, give players their moments of glory, right? Like, you know, the, the analogous spell that I use a lot is, is the Warlock is Fireball because I'm a, a Fiend Firelock. And it's like, you know, occasionally you'll get, we'll get to a situation where there's like five things in the group with like no HP. And I'll be like, okay, Fireball. It's like, yes, I did the thing I was supposed to do. I took out all the mooks with the big AOE spell. No, that's a huge thing. Like, this is, uh, ironically, this is something that's that's been brought up a lot with WoW stuff. Um, so, like, we talked about the Covenants or whatever. And sort of the, the, so there was the Ripcord, which was like, the covenants will never be balanced. There will always be like a numerically correct covenant to take, right? So you should just have it be something that a player can choose. They can swap between, uh, you know, like kind of at will, and you decouple the you like the the RP stuff from like the power stuff or whatever. And I actually think the most convincing argument that I've seen, which isn't even what I was really considering, but got brought up by Ian Hazakostas, like sort of later down the line after they had said they're not doing it or whatever. One of the things he talked about is he's like, I want players to have moments where they are powerful, right? And it's important for players who choose a specific covenant with a specific strong suit, right, to get to activate their strong, cool thing in the moment, right? So if, you know, um, one of the warrior covenants is a big AoE that's like, it's like, a, it's like an earthquake or whatever, and it periodically like knocks groups down. Well, if I'm doing Mythic Plus and I walk into a group with four casters, right, and I use Ancient Aftershock so that these casters are constantly getting knocked over for 
0.5 seconds, but it's interrupting their cast bars. That feels great, right? Like, as a tank, I'm preventing so much damage, or as a warrior, right? Like, I'm preventing so much damage to the party because Ancient Aftershock in this specific scenario is just really, really, really good. And that's the kind of thing that gets, like, missed when we talk about, like, you know, oh, uh, the Ancient Aftershock doesn't, you know, parse sim, the same right, yeah. level as... Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Like you, you always miss this shit uh, when it when it comes to that. And I do think that it is actually pretty, you know, like pretty important. Like it's something that actually gets brought up um, that I that I bring up sometimes where it's like, if you look at the way raids work, typically raids don't wipe based on overall DPS. They wipe at inflection points where it's like there is a high amount of incoming damage or a high amount of you know like un. Like, like some mechanic that's sort of out of their control. And a lot of the time, the inflection point stuff is better served by you doing things that are worse DPS. So a good example of this is um, there's one fight called Opulence where he spawns a bunch of like little... He spawns like a bunch of little ads. And the ads start in the middle and they go to the outer corners. And once they reach the outer corners of the room, they start casting a dangerous thing, right? As an arms warrior, I have, a, I have an ability that is a big AoE and it puts a debuff on, on the guys and then I have Bladestorm. So by saving Warbreaker and Bladestorm for that moment where they spawn and I Warbreaker Bladestorm right on top of them and I'm just feeling like an insane amount of burst DPS, right? It actually is better for me to use my DPS cooldown in that situation than it would be for me to use it on cooldown, even though that's what a sim would tell me to do, right? Like you want to use your cooldowns as soon as they're up sort of thing. Um, and I feel like that does get a little bit like missed in these kinds of conversations, and that's sort of the the, the exact same thing. Like, it's it feels good when there is a when there is a group of fireballer fireballing kind of enemies to be able to fireball those enemies. That's that's satisfying. Yeah, no, I guess. Uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think this is we're 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 kind of pushing on time, but this is super interesting because like I'm thinking about like have you ever played Monster Hunter? Um, uh, yeah, a little bit. So just like kind of like. I feel like like there's probably ultimate builds there, but I never seen anybody talk about them, and I wonder, kind of, I think I've got some thoughts about why that is, right? Like they're just like kind of not the, the push there, but I, I also think that part of it is like there's a level of randomness that like you don't like. I wonder how much of like these these wow problems are that like wow encounters are solvable essentially, right? Like the randomness isn't so random, right? Like you know like you can like there's there's not enough variation for like you know there's a strategy that you're supposed to stick to. Um, and so, like, it's it's easy to kind of call out the places where that, that kind of stuff happens. It's, 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 I don't have a fully formed thought on that yet, but maybe that's a topic for a future podcast. Um, yeah, no, there is there's a really interesting uh, there's a really interesting quote that a dev gave um, about so so there's a really interesting quote from a dev about the way Mythic Raiders approach the game. I'm trying to see if I can find it really quickly. Um, because it is so honestly, I don't want to say true, right? Um, but it, it, it is so like interesting and it boils down a lot of the way that like Sims and stuff like this is actually a, uh, if you, if you think about it, it's more of like a social thing than like anything else. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'm on the, I'm on the Twitter thread. Let me see if I can find this. It's, okay. it's, it's so. like, it's almost like a signaling thing, right? Like, you no, know, I, yeah. So this is so, okay. So. 
uh, just for context, there used to be a forum, and I think there might still be a forum, but it doesn't get a lot of use, which is where high-level theory crafters could talk directly to devs of the game, right? And somebody got on Twitter and was like, this is the reason why I fucking hate World of Warcraft. Um, and she links this quote as an example of a dev being very, like, mean and unreasonable. This is what he says. Um, the mythic raiding theorycraft community is, to a first-order approximation, a huge social engine whose reason deritra is specifically to decide slash enforce what everyone in that community uses and that they use the same talents. I don't think we could do anything with talent design that would easily change that. There are entire discords and websites that employ people full-time, all based on the concept of telling people what talents are best and spreading the social norm that they shouldn't use other ones, right? Um, which, to be honest, I think is a very fair quote, right? Like, that is a fundamentally true thing. But it points to the social piece of it, where it's like, the... Theory crafting in WoW is more of a social exercise in creating what is best than it is a true exercise in sort of like mathematics in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, it um, sounds like it sounds like a signaling thing, right? Like, in, you know, not not, not to, to to draw too much to like modern uh, kind of like social stuff, but like it's, it's it sounds like a version of kind of like almost like cancel culture type like virtual signaling type stuff, right? It's like you are. You are a member of the in-group by by you know adhering to the um, the accepted wisdom of what the community deems to be acceptable type of deal. Um, yep. And so it, that, that's that's super interesting, right? Because like that's that's like it is, yeah. Because it's like I've I've never done a sim, or that's not true. I have done sims, but I haven't done a sim for like all of BFA or whatever. What I do is I read what the theory crafters write, and I and I change my character accordingly. Um, and, uh, and it's actually co kind of funny what, like, we talked about this with Phelan on the podcast, where one of the things that I did at the end of BFA, and one of the things that I've actually done now, like, my current iteration of Baron on the pre-patch, is I recreated his whole character against what the Sims tell me I should do, just because I, I like this specific build of Warrior, and I was really surprised at how much damage I was doing, like, that I wasn't completely sinking in terms of, in terms of my damage output, right, that, like... I'm actually still putting out pretty reasonable amounts of damage given, you know, like given that context. Yeah, I, so. I think that's the big thing that you miss is that, like, like uh, it's like the Pareto principle, right? Like 80-20, right? It's like, you know, mm -hmm. most like most of your gains, like, are going to be just, like, you're going to get 80% of the 80% of your damage by just playing decently. And then, like, even, like, I feel like probably, like, up to, like, 18%, right? Like, it's like that last, like, 2% that's going to be, like, the, like the, the real tail end of the Sims. Which doesn't yeah, I think part of it is just gear, right? Yeah. Like, Baron is an incredibly high, highly geared character because I've been playing him for the entire expansion. I put a lot of time into Mythic Plus and Heroic Rating and all this other stuff, so he is, like, on the upper end of uh, of gear. And it's kind of like, no matter what you pick, when you just have the really good gear, you're going to put out however much DPS kind of thing. Yeah, no, makes perfect sense. Well, um, we should probably leave it there. We've been going for quite a while. Um uh, do you have anything you want to talk about before I do the, the wrap-up stuff? I have nothing else I want to talk about. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, follow us uh, or email – if you'd like to tell us what you thought about any of these MCU movies or any other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversiveplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames. Shout-out to everybody who's watching us live right now. Um, oh my god, also shout out to everyone who's watching us. I actually have not been paying attention to chat. Fuck. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of chat, chat since we, we solved the uh, – we solved the mic problem. Oh, you're right. Um, Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, shout out to chat for 
pointing out the the, the mic problems. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, you can uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud uh, for those of you watching. If you want the recorded version, these uh, go up on YouTube um, shortly after this. Uh, especially if I don't screw up the recording, but now that I've screwed up the recording, it'll be a little while. Um, uh, uh, I think that's it. But do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>